2: A roundup of the week's most important stories affecting those who served. Presented by University of Maryland Global Campus.
0: There are nearly 20 million, 20 million military, military veterans, veterans in, in the, the US. U.S. Each week we focus on their stories. Powered by ConnectingVets.com, this This is CBS Ion Eye Eye on on Veterans. Ion Veterans.
3: Welcome to another edition of CBS Ion Veterans. I'm Navy veteran Phil Briggs. This hour, we'll hear some great stuff. We'll talk to MilitaryHired.com and hear how despite the COVID economy, there are contractors and Fortune 500 companies ready to hire veterans right now. We'll hear what the hot jobs are and how to get them a little bit later. And we'll also hear how a retired veteran, who also had a full career as a cop on the hard streets of Newark, New Jersey, was saved from certain death by a band of brothers he found at Wounded Warrior Project. But first, I wanted to share a conversation that I had recently that's perfect for Halloween. See, I put out on Twitter and Facebook through ConnectingVets.com that I was looking for any veteran with a good ghost story. And that's when I got an email from Glenn Phillips in Kentucky. He's a retired veteran who's dedicated his life to helping other vets. But years ago, he had multiple encounters with what can only be explained as the supernatural. So I called Glenn, who didn't seem like a crazy, ghost-obsessed follower of the occult. Rather, he was a grandfatherly-sounding Army veteran who previously served with the support battalion for 5th Special Forces Group out of Fort Bragg. Anyway, his story? Well, it was as sincere as it was scary.
1: So I lived in Virginia, in a small town called Big Stone, God, Virginia. In about 2005... Uh, it was built in 1926, and so after after we bought the home, I realized that uh, that the home um, had had a trouble past. There had been a mother, father uh, that lived there, and they had one daughter and two sons. One of the sons served in War One. One of the sons served in War Two. He was the youngest. And he had, uh, was unable to take care of himself, so the state had put him in a nursing home setting. And his home had been sold with all the contents inside. Reed me because of a veteran fear. You know, uh, no family when they would to take care of himself. Uh, so, so I went and found him, in nursing home, and talked to him within a few days after we bought the house. And um, he was in the hospital at that time with uh, pneumonia. I had a real good conversation with him about his service and about his home and how he took care of his home. About this time, you know, like I said, I had been retired officially in 03, and I'd made a promise myself that I was just going to do two things in the rest of my life. I was going to try to be a better man and I was going to help every veteran, every old that I saw the best I could in any aspect that I could. So my wife at the time, she was a nurse. And she worked in the ER from 8 at night, right in the morning. So I was generally home alone. So at night, it's a little hard to go to sleep being home by myself. So still, I would read a book, and that would make me sleepy. And so, now this went on for two to three weeks. I would hear we had a three-bedroom home with a small, modest home, dining room, kitchen, living room, half basement and unfinished upstairs. I was laying in bed trying to make myself go to sleep reading a book with a lamp on, and uh, I heard chains and walking up in the attic, dragging across the floor, very loud. And I thought, this can't be true. This, this you know, cause Because I'm a soldier and we, and generally all of us, we believe in the things we have left or they're right. They're either black or white. There is no in between. We don't, we don't go along with go along with a bunch of baloney. And I personally, I still don't. I don't believe in ghosts or apparitions or any of this stuff. It never have. Right. So this went on for a couple, three weeks.
3: When you say it would go on, like uh, you would just hear the chains dragging across the floor, what, for like yeah. a few seconds and then it would disappear?
1: No, it happened. It would happen for, you know, several minutes at a time, two or three minutes, four or five minutes, you know, the best of my memory. For, you know, not just a few seconds, but for minutes. Wow. And uh, I would hear that and I thought this, you know, I just, this this is something else, you know, this ain't real. I just ignored it, completely ignored it. And I think... Thinking back, that I think that was my way at that time. I thought if I ignored it, it would go away or where it was because I did not believe in things like this,
4: mm-hmm.
1: and at all. So this went on, like I said, for two or three weeks. And so one night, I was laying in bed, and I think we all have this sense that we feel like if someone's looking at us. I think every every person I know. And when feel like someone's looking at us, we'll turn around there'll be somebody looking at us, you know, a friend or a family member, whatever it may be.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: And so I was laying in bed reading the book and trying to sleep because my wife, at the time, she was working. And uh, I laid the book down, and I looked, and there was uh, two, and I know this sounds crazy, but it, it's the truth. I saw two black, look like smoky... Uh, some sort of apparitions or something. And they looked like real small humans, about three, three and a half foot tall. Or, but I could, you know, they were translucent and I could see through them. And one's on one side of the door, one's on the other. And they were looking at the kitchen. And I'm a straight up on the sky. So, and, you know, I don't, like I said, I don't believe in it. So I I, I wear contacts. So I blink my eyes real hard and open my eyes. They were still there. And they just, then they left. And I thought, and I, you know, as a a veteran, as a soldier dedicated life to serving, something is wrong with me. I don't, you know, my mind's playing tricks on me. Uh, You know, I, I thought there's something, I thought of everything. There's something really bad wrong here. So then this happened again. And same thing reading a book, felt like someone's standing me and I've got a light on. And by this time, I'm, I'm uh, it's either fight or flight. And I believe I decided to fight, because I was mad. The third time, the same thing, it both two of them standing at the door and looking at me. It was like it was trying to intimidate me. That's the feeling I got, it was kind of intimidating.
3: What did they look like, specifically, though? I- you know, I'm not for
1: sure, ch- children or adults, but they were they were not gray smoky. They were like black smoky, and uh, they had kind of um kind of maybe uh, not rounded, but kind of pointed, you know, on top of their head. And they were small. They were only three three and a half foot tall. And I know it's sounds crazy, but it's it's not. And they were. Uh, I could, even though they're real dark, like black smoky, I could still see through them, and I could make out to outline, just a little bit of eyes, those horrors, arms, hands you know, real small petite, uh, weren't holding anything. Hmm. Weren't, uh, so this happened a third time to them, but this time I was, I was upset. It, it's time to fight. So the next morning, my, you know, old wife, she came home and she would sleep during the day. And, you know, I would do whatever I was doing. So she went to bed. And so when she did, and I'm, I'm a Christian. I've always been a Christian. And uh, so when she went to bed, I opened up the windows throughout the house, opened up the door, and I did this off the I didn't know if it would work. And so I started walking down the hallway, room, room in the living room, down room the kitchen, just making a circle through the center of the house. And I said some prayers out loud, and then, in my own words, that I told them, whoever you are, whatever you are, that this is my home. You need to leave and never come back.
3: Ever. This is mine. And apparently Glenn's reading from the Bible, and the strong words from this Christian veteran, well, that's all it took.
1: I never, we, I never, I never heard a peep. I never heard a nothing in the attic. I never saw an apparition like I saw I never, we lived there for
4: years
3: Now if you've got an experience with the supernatural that you'd like to share, go ahead and email me, phil at connectingvets.com and we'll be back with more inspiring stories when CBS Ion Veterans returns Welcome back to CBS Ion Veterans, powered by ConnectingVets.com. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs. Now, in our next segment, we're talking jobs. And the good news is our guests are here to help you find one. From MilitaryHire.com, Mr. Jeff Finifrock, and a combat veteran, Dr. Rob Regal. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for having us. Really glad to hear about this. Um, I actually heard about this from our friends at AMVETS. Uh, How did we get started with this? How did you come to me from AMVETS?
2: Well, Phil, we recognize that military transition to the commercial sector is a life experience. People are transitioning not just from jobs, but from life experiences, locations. There's a lot of other extenuating circumstances. And so AMVETS are experts in that. as a veteran service organization. We're just really blessed to have a partner like them.
3: Very good. And we're blessed too because the more ways we can find people that are finding us jobs, the better. Uh, tell me more about MilitaryHire.com. How does it operate? How does it work? Right. Well,
4: Military Hire is the uh, nation's oldest veteran specific job board. We partner with many uh, corporations, many of them multinationals, 25,000 approximately. are looking specifically for veteran talent. They um, understand their social obligations to the people that help protect our nation when they return and begin to transition out. And so as Jeff mentioned, VSOs pick up a big part of that. There's a HEAL program, for instance, inside AMVETS that we're actively involved in where we can cater a number of our uh, job service offerings to the market because many of the people that are transitioning out of the military are, are or veterans who are transitioning from an existing job to another job have skill sets that can only be found in the military or are principally found in the military and and cyber training, for instance, is one of those. So what we do is we take a look at what the industry uh, statistics are and try to find out what the best matches are. Not every job is necessarily a good match for a veteran, but where they are, we try to entice the corporations that want to hire veterans in so that they can specialize in getting the talent they need and they don't have to do it broad-based they can do it with precision and that that's in essence what we offer the the corporations on the talent side on the candidate side we offer them a platform where they know that their skill sets will match up well to the companies that are looking for them and that their percentage of or chances of getting hired are are much higher going through this type of a talent job board versus one that just is a broad brush across society.
3: And uh, it sounds very interesting because it's a nuanced look at a job board. They are employers that are looking to acquire a certain kind of new talent, and that new talent includes veterans, but also women and minorities.
2: Exactly. Uh, So just recently, we included all of our benefits to our veterans, which are free, to their spouses and to their direct family members. In fact, they consist of about 3% of our total population, which in a short amount of time is significant given our longevity in this space. We're just very excited because we know that the military relationship is a family endeavor and we're excited to offer those membership benefits at no cost.
3: Uh, Let's get now kind of away from the stats and more into what's on the menu. Um, what are the hot jobs now? I thought I heard somebody mention cybersecurity, but share with me a couple job categories that are just really really prevalent on your site. <laughs>
4: Cyber uh, is one that we're very aware of because we manage the cyber credentialing for the, t- for the entire U.S. Army through another company that is in our uh, corporate holdings. And so we're very uh, sensitive to what those needs are. And Jeff would tell you, statistically, there's three openings for every qualified individual. So that is a very, very hot piece. But there's also trades that are specific to the military, like Um, engine mechanics, and and for instance, aircraft or airframe maintenance people, all of these technology jobs that require a specific sort of training that the military is sort of blessed with having uh, ubiquitously can transfer well into the the, uh, commercial sector. But mostly it's uh, medical, technical,
2: and of course, first and foremost, cyber.
3: Right on. Jeff, do you care to expand on some of the companies that you're currently working with that are looking to hire veterans?
2: Definitely. Uh, So we've got a lot of relationships with contractors to the US government. So companies that do direct business with the government, companies as well that get into physical security, information security, and logistics. These are some key growth areas that we've seen. When companies come to us, they're looking for people that are mentally uh, disciplined. And so we get a lot of interest as well from the financial sector, the insurance sector, and we're seeing growth in those areas. We've seen over the months with COVID, you know, we have experienced what we've seen as a recovery in this space. And it has not been uh, as big of a dip. So the, the point is the companies are very much active in
3: this space. It's good to hear that you have in your stable secure companies that have government contracts that are contractors and although their names might not be immediately recognizable these are guys that have work to do and need help doing it and that's why they're on the hiring frenzy um good to hear that one thing i've yet to ask is how does the user start an account does this cost money is this a membership kind of thing
2: uh, i feel it's it's free people just go to militaryhire.com and look under job seekers and they will see Whether it be the veteran category or the military spouse and family category, they can register under those categories. And not only will they get free benefits and access to all of our services, like resume writing and job coaching through our affiliates, they'll also be able to um, get our newsletter every month that has blog postings, job tips, and the hot jobs that we see in the marketplace. So encourage people to look at it today.
4: Yeah, and to build on that a little bit, Phil. Um, not only are our services free, many of the things that may be challenging them from a, a relocation perspective or homelessness perspective or whatever the case may be, our VSOs are prominently identified there too. So there are links to reach out uh, to help get help in areas that aren't are not job related that may be challenging that veteran or that transitioning um, service member. So you know, it's a it's a pretty Pretty much a one-stop shop, to be honest.
3: Uh, Let's, last question, talk about geography. Um, Does it matter? I mean, are are there certain areas of the country where it's ideal to be living right now to take advantage of some of the opportunities on the website?
2: We definitely can see where the military bases are emanating their candidates into the market. But what is great is we work with candidates and employers on not only where candidates are coming from, but where they want to go to. So we understand the transitional component of Veteran Life. We get several candidates from overseas. Uh, they're deployed overseas, but they're going to be targeting certain areas and locations. And so we work with them both in a digital format, but interpersonally to make sure that where they want to be and transition to is a reality and we communicate that we feel very well.
4: We have most of the Fortune 500 uh, as customers and they are multinational and international companies. So. Um, From the candidate perspective, there's a very high likelihood that one of our customers is looking for them in their area that they reside in or that they want to reside in. So with as many job postings and as many companies as we have, we can meet just about any need. And I will tell you that, you know, veterans themselves are are pretty able to multitask and deal with stress. Well, they have to do it uh, for a living in their military you know, life. And so this COVID situation hasn't, in our estimation, hasn't put much of a dent in the ability of, of our uh, candidate pool to perform.
3: And that right there is the best news of all, the fact that despite COVID, there are still jobs available and that your candidate pool ready to go. Well, I appreciate both your guys' time. Uh, Is there any jobs for, like, say, a 40-something Navy veteran with a little salt and pepper (laughs) that's a broadcaster by trade? I mean, could you hook me up?
2: We we know some people. We'll let you know. (laughs) Well,
3: that's
4: awesome. Yeah, there's CBS podcast jobs that are available, so evidently so. Yeah, (laughs) we'll (laughs) hook you up.
3: Outstanding. Well, I look forward to learning more, and you can learn more at militaryhire.com. Jeff Bynchrock, Dr. Bob Riegel, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. you. Now, stick around, because up next, we've got a veteran that comes to us from Wounded Warrior Project, and a story that you won't soon forget.
5: I remember turning my head, and out of the corner of my eye, I see this huge flash. I remember this guy's body smoking. All of these things began to come back. I went on something called Project Odyssey at a zip lining resort. I don't do hikes. That's why I was a police officer and not a fireman. (laughs) So when we get there, you know, we're all strangers. Um, But when we left, we were brothers.
3: That's ahead when CBS Eye on Veterans continues. Welcome back to Ion Veterans, powered by ConnectingVets.com. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs. My next guest is a great example of beating back the things in our mind that haunt us and going on to live your happiest life. Bill Thomas went from the Air Force to an incredible career as a cop on the tough streets of Newark, New Jersey. But in order to conquer the stuff that he was battling, well, it would require a band of brothers. So it's with that, I'm excited to hear this story and introduce to you Bill Thomas. Welcome, buddy. Thank you,
5: Phil. Thanks for having me.
3: Indeed, man. So Air Force veteran, you know, I'm a Navy guy. I could make a joke. But then again, you joke right back because, you know, Air Force and Navy, we're not (laughs) (laughs) not always always known as the toughest guys. But, man, there's some toughness and some metal in your background. And we're going to follow that up with the story about what it's like to be a cop in Newark. And uh, man, you've done some incredible things and you've had some life changing experiences that the Wounded Warrior Project helped you out with and make some positive changes in your life. And it's that it's that kind of trauma and drama that I know everyone in this world experiences at some point in their life that I want to highlight through your example. So uh, let's start, man. Let's go way back in Bill Thomas's life, man. Tell me about uh, joining the Air Force. Uh, When did you do it? Why would you want to do it?
5: I'm a child of uh, the Vietnam era. Um, I actually had these little green plastic army men. Oh, my goodness. I had uh, a shoebox full of them. And I said, you know what? I want to do that. I want to serve my country. And when I turned 17 and actually enlisted into the U.S. Air Force.
3: Bill would do eight years with the Air Force, get married, have some kids, and create a family of his own. But his career of service was just getting started.
5: After that time, uh, I actually took the test in New Jersey uh, to become a police officer uh, in the Newark Police Department, and I spent 25 years there. Uh, I worked everything from patrol to uh, homicides. I mean, just the whole gamut. 1998, I met—I was part of a DEA task force in New Jersey, and I met uh, an an Air Force National Guard member who was— assigned to the task force. and we began to talk about military and military service. and he told me about the unit that he belonged to and uh, gave me actually a number of a recruiter. So I called the recruiter and in 1998 I re-enlisted. And the way it worked out, the way it worked out was with my previous service and the time that I had in the police department, I could retire from both the same year. So it was just it, it just worked out uh, perfect
3: so to speak. Perfect until 9-11. And afterward, his guard unit would get called up for active duty. And Bill, now a veteran New Jersey cop, would have to deploy with the military.
5: I was in Saudi actually twice, early uh, 1999. And then in 2007, my unit was mobilized. And we took over uh, base security operations at Bagnet International Airport, uh, the military-controlled side. We uh, went to do weapons inspections uh, on the uh, Iraqi-controlled side of the airport. We were assigned a building, so we actually go into the building, have a canine handler and an overwatch with me. So we go in, uh, the dog gets doing its thing, and I remember turning my head, and out of the corner of my eye, I see this huge flash. You know, then you get the sound. Um, And because it was a cement building, uh, it just echoed. And I see the canine handler toss back. You know, he was just prone on the floor. The dog was just gone. Instinct kicks in, you know, grab him. My overwatch grabs the other side, and we drag him out. He was eventually able to get back up on his seat. So what happened was the dog made connection with some exposed wiring, and it blew a transformer. But I remember this guy's body smoking. I'm saying, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. It didn't really affect me then, but it brought back memories of uh, when I was in the police department. And it was a coworker walking out of a Superior Court trial, just walked out of the courtroom and was executed, shot in the head. And I remember being there with my captain and just seeing my co-worker just, you know, in a pool of blood. So, I mean, all of these things began to come back. Uh, it really, really began to trouble me. But I was able to finish the deployment uh, and then come home thinking I was the same person, but that was not the case.
3: Man, my heart goes out to you, and I can only imagine, I mean, two full careers of service that have walked you right down a path to witness some really tough stuff. This is where I kind of want to sort of put this into terms people can understand, because even if you're not a combat veteran, even if you haven't had a career in law enforcement, you know, these dents, these dings, these traumas, these, these stresses, and let's face it, the unusual and uncomfortable situation of being near death can happen to a lot of people in a lot of different ways. It wasn't until 2008 that you said that you'd woke up in a body bag. Tell me about 2008 and what was it that made that final decision to, uh, you know, go ahead and get some help.
5: I came home thinking I was the same person that I left. You know, I went back to work in, oh my goodness, early June. Uh, I came home in March of a week, went back to the police department. I think it was early June, four days on, two days off. And I was working afternoon shift and I can remember a call came in that, uh, there was a person shot. There was a shooting. So I respond along with, uh, other units that I had working for me and we get there. And, you know, for me, it's just like, you know, I could do it blindfolded, you know? Okay. So we have to get the witnesses separated, protect the evidence, get the victim to the hospital escorted so that, you know, um, uh, we can protect the, the victim. I'm, I'm just doing all of this stuff, almost like a robot. And I remember a supervisor coming on the scene, my supervisor and began to bark orders at me. And I don't know. So I just kind of like lost it. Ended up, uh, finishing my shift and the next day I was off that morning. I'm up and I'm watching a, a, a program on TV, a movie actually. And, um, the theme of the movie was there was a person from the future sent back to the past to try and stop a plague that was going to wipe out most of humanity. So it's just that thought. And then I began to think about instances in the police department where I wish I could go back and like stop, you know, certain crimes from happening to I could see the victims' faces. And then of course, you know, I thought about the situation in Iraq, where if I had seen maybe what the dog was about to engage in, I could have, you know, stopped that. So it just broke me. Hmm. And when I say broke me, it completely broke me. My wife saw what was happening and took me to the VA. And they admitted me into the lock ward for eight days. And that's where I was first diagnosed with PTSD. Fast forward a couple of years, I I was tired still. Just all of the things constantly playing in my mind, trying to figure out who I was now, how I'm going to survive, how I'm gonna, you know, live the rest of my life. Is this all there is to me? So one day, um, I just, uh, it just came across me, well, you know what? You're tired, there is no end. You know, there's just like, this is the way it's gonna be. So I said, you know what? I don't need to be here anymore. I was confident in my decision. There was no fast heartbeat. There was no pounding headache. There was no sweating. Uh, I was at peace with the decision that I made uh, to just end my life. And, you know, I, I reasoned that, you know, my family knew what I was suffering from, they would understand, my friends knew what I was going through, they would understand, but I was at peace with my decision. There was no, there was no fear whatsoever, no fear of death, and um, that's the day I just decided to end it.
3: Now stick around, because there's so much more left to this veteran's story
5: they put me in a body bag, and I was at this place of peace. Now there's something that's disturbing this peace. Uh, It turns out it was EMS and the local police department. I could barely understand what was happening around me, but I remember hearing a voice, and it was one of the police officers, and he was a vet. And he says, brother, I'm a vet, brother, I'm a vet. We're gonna take care of you, we're gonna take care of you. And uh, I kind of clung on to that because at this point, you guys just messed up my whole plan.
3: That's ahead when ION Veterans returns. Welcome back to CBS ION Veterans. I'm your host, former Navy journalist Phil Briggs. Now we'll get back to the story of Air Force veteran, New Jersey cop, and Wounded Warrior Project Ambassador Bill Thomas. After a decorated career as a cop on the tough streets of Newark, in an explosive incident while deployed with his reserve unit in Iraq, Bill was finally ready to slow down and retire. But his mind was not ready to let go. So in 2008, Bill thought he would just end his own life story.
5: A handful of pills, drink a half a bottle of alcohol, and uh, just laid across the bed. And uh, sometime after that, I can remember being jostled. My body was being jostled. And I was at this place of peace. Now there's something that's disturbing this peace. Uh, it turns out it was EMS and the local police department. So I began, you know, once I was able to kind of, like, well, once I came back a little bit, yeah, I began to struggle. Like, you know, you're taking away my peace. You're taking away my peace. Just leave me alone. And, uh, so I guess fighting, uh, they put me in a body bag and, um, Began to remove me from my home to take me back to the VA. I could barely understand what was happening around me, but I remember hearing a voice, and it was one of the police officers. and He was a vet, and he says, "Brother, I'm a vet. Brother, I'm a vet. We're going to take care of you. We're going to take care of you." And uh, I kind of clung on to that because at this point, you guys just messed up my whole plan, right? <laughs> right. Um, so. Uh, you know, I kind of hung on to that. And sure enough, you know, they took me to the VA and I was admitted again. Uh, And my perspective changed after that. It really did. Um, You know, I realized that it was quite selfish of me to have done that. You know, my family would suffer, right? My children, um, my grandkids. So it was rough, Phil. It really was.
3: Thank you so much for sharing that, Bill. And um, what's beautiful about what you just shared is as dark as it got, it gets light again. It it gets great again. And a lot of it came through your association and your work with Wounded Warrior Project. And that's really kind of what I want to uncover here in the next part of the interview is how you got started with that. So
5: during my hospitalization... um I met uh, uh, another Iraq uh, veteran who
2: told me about
5: a Wounded Warrior Project. Um, and we would uh, speak just about every day. Um, so once I was discharged from the hospital, and I'm assessing my life and, you know, uh, what I need to do to... Try and regain some sense of normalcy to my life. I looked up One uh, Word Project. Uh, you know they have a website, so I went on the website. I registered as an alumni, and eventually, I hooked up with the New York office. And this was in, oh my goodness, uh, can't remember the year. But anyway, sure. Um, uh, my first experience with them. Uh, was actually NFL draft at uh, Rio City Music Hall. And the, the, the point of contact for me uh, was also a warrior, but she worked for the Warrior Project. She was a Marine. And for some reason, we just hit it off. So as time went by, you know, uh, I became more involved in the project. I found other people like me, right? Other people that were still struggling. Uh, I found an organization that cared for us, cared about us, uh, and I really, really immersed myself in attending events with Wonderware Project, volunteering at different things they had going on, um, just to stay connected, right? Because I was no longer in the police department, no longer in the military. My family didn't understand this whole PTSD thing, but they did. And also the beauty of Wonder Warrior Project at that time, my family was able to come with me. So they were would see that, okay, well, my husband or my father, um, you know, it's, it's not unique to him. There are other families out there that, uh, their spouses uh, or fathers, um, you know, struggling as well. Yeah, yeah. And it offers the family support as well, which was so, so very important to me. That My friend, my family understood that they're not in it alone. There are resources available for them as well.
3: Whether it's services for the veteran or services for the family, when you hear Bill talk about what he experienced with Wounded Warrior Project, you can truly hear how it's life-changing.
5: I went on something called Project Odyssey. Uh, which is run by Wonder Warrior Project, and basically what it, what it is, it's a mental health workshop, and we get together at a particular place uh, for five days. So my project Odyssey was at a zip lining resort. I don't do heights, that's why I was a police officer, I'm not a fireman, <laughs> and that's why, <laughs> and that's why, uh, you know, I wasn't a pilot. You know, I was a ground troop. But anyway, so when we get there you know, we're all strangers. Um, but when we left, we were brothers. Uh, we had to rely on each other for some of the obstacles in the, um, in the, uh, in the courses, you know, the zip lining courses. And, you know, we, we tell our stories and, you know, we're learning different coping mechanisms for, you know, PTSD or physical limitations that we had. Um, but the beauty of it was, you know, I conquered some of my fears of height. But even more than that, I was able to gain knowledge about. Okay, you know what? He's doing something a certain way, and that makes sense to me. Or, you know, I'm able to talk to another vet, like who may <clears throat> not be in a as far in recovery as I am, and and you know, we're able to share these stories, and you know, it's not. Uh, you know measuring who had the worst traumas or anything like that that's not what it's about but it's about that camaraderie and learning from each other and inspiring each other to you know keep going keep going don't give up just keep going it's going to get better it's going to get better and that was mm. the beauty of uh Private odyssey
3: mm. right on just a testament to the power that uh, can be found within the programs of the Warrior Project and uh, let's face it man you're like instead of TED Talks they're Bill Talks you're like a paid motivational speaker forget Anthony (laughs) Robbins man forget (laughs) Anthony Robbins I'll take your story any day man Bill Thomas a former Newark New Jersey cop combat veteran and a motivational speaker at this point Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show
5: Bill thank you so much I appreciate you having me
3: I want to thank all of our guests that were on today's show, from our friends at MilitaryHire.com to our fellow veteran Glenn and his incredible ghost story. But uh, more than anything, I want to ask you to donate. Wounded Warrior Project is doing so many amazing things for our veterans, and uh, $50 goes a long, long way, from helping them with the adaptive sports and the prosthetics uh, to the mental health services that are so crucial in this crazy year we're having. So uh, give what you can. $50, $50, whatever you got, go to donate to warriors.org. That's donate to warriors.org. I'm Navy veteran Phil Briggs, and you can find this episode and other ones at connectingvets.com in the audio section. And I'll be back right here next week with more incredible stories on CBS Ion Veterans.
2: Earn your degree online at University of Maryland Global Campus. Meet with our military and veteran advisors in our virtual advising remotely at umgc.edu slash
0: virtual advising. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to ION Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com/survey. Save on Cox internet when you add Cox mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home, yes, cool, or attending one live, oh! You can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst,
4: certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast